When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, this is Louise Sorrell. I'm talking to TV Confidential. And you should tune in because they're really wonderful. Robertson along with the guests Ray Richmond, Ray Richmond award-winning journalist, television critic, and best-selling author. Ray's latest book, Betty White, 100 Remarkable Moments in an Extraordinary Life, is a visual salute to the first lady of television that... As you can imagine from the title, chronicles 100 highlights from the acting life of Betty White, as well as the many passions that have defined Betty White like no other entertainer, not the least of which is her lifelong love and advocacy for animals of all kinds. Betty White, 100 Moments in an Extraordinary Life will become available wherever books are sold, beginning Tuesday, December 7th through Becker and Meyer Publishers, as well as our friends at the Quarto Group. You can also find Betty White, 100 Moments in an Extraordinary Life, Amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. Before we went to break, Ray and I were talking about Alan Ludden's courtship of Betty White, which obviously culminated in their marriage. And as Ray was telling us before we went to break, the successful marriage between Alan Ludden and Betty White was very much against the odds. Because, you know, Betty had, had, had been married twice mm-hmm. early in her life, in her 20s. Both of them had gone south pretty quickly, both of the marriages. And she, would, she basically swore off of marriage and just said, uh, you know what, tried that, didn't work. Um, I'm just going to concentrate on my career, forget that. She meets a guy on a game show who just buried his wife, or hadn't even buried her yet, whose wife had just passed. He's got three kids, relatively young, one teenager and two preteens. They're still reeling from the death of their mother. Um, you know, the last thing they want is to have, you know, this stepmother telling them what to do. And yet it worked. And um, Betty never had ch- children of her own. And I think that was because, as she would tell you, she was really wedded to her career. But um, Alan was the perfect husband for her. They both looked at life the same way. They both looked at career the same way. He never tried to rein her in, never tried to stop her from pursuing her passion. He was not afraid of her success, and he was not intimidated by her success, which was the case with her other two marriages. In some respects, we're talking about how Betty, how fiercely dedicated Betty White was early in her life and career. She was unapologetically single. She was unapologetically devoted to advancing her career in this new medium of television. And that was during a time when women were supposed to be nothing if they didn't have a man by their side, and she ignored that. Exactly. In many respects, in many respects, she was Mary Richards before there was a Mary Richards or a Mary Tyler Moore show. Yeah, no question. No question. She was the real-life Mary Richards. And um, I'm, I'm telling you that she opened so many doors. Uh, as a certified pathologist, <laughs> I can tell you the the woman opened more doors than than almost any woman in entertain pretty much than any woman in entertainment history. She also produced her show. If before there was any there was a glass ceiling of any sort, she produced her shows. She produced one uh, called Life with Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. There was an early early sit 
song that pretty much went on the air right around the same time as I Love Lucy. And started out in a, in a live in a theater. Um, and then ended up being going on to uh, onto film later on, a couple years later in, in what came to be known as syndication. But yeah, it was one of the one of the great unlikely love stories of all time, Betty and Alan. She was also fiercely loyal to the people who worked for her. She was also fiercely loyal to the people who helped her. There are two such examples you talk about that in Betty White, 100 Remarkable Moments one of which involved Arthur Duncan, the dancer who went on to become a star on the Lawrence Welk show, but who first was able to establish himself through the support of Betty White. And another is an example, uh, and this goes, this is sort of one of those full circle moments and involves, I think this involves life, I think this involves life with Elizabeth and a writer named Fran Van Hardisfeld. Yes. Fran Van Hartsfeld got Betty a commercial on the radio where she, you know, all she had to do was say parquet twice without screwing it up. Um, literally one word, uh, twice, because it was once for the West Coast, once for the East Coast, live on a live radio show. And it, it got her into what was known as the American Federation of Radio Artists. Before there was an AFTRA, there was an AFTRA. Um, it got her into the union. And she was forever grateful to him, so grateful to Fran Van Hartsfeld was she, because he was the producer of the show that hired her for the commercial, that she hired him for a show that she did later on called Date with the Angel, where she got him a job as a writer for that show. It only lasted a single season, but it, it was a, a great payday and a great gig and credit for him. And um, you see that throughout her career, where um, Betty pretty much takes care of her people. And... Um, and that's, that's hugely gratifying to see. You know, someone like that, Ed, in show business, show business is not, is not a, a part of life that is known to uh, with people that take care of their own. But Betty is an exception. Yeah, there are a lot, not to paint with a broad swath, there are a lot of short memories in Hollywood. But there are a lot of people like Betty White who remember where they were before they got to be where they are. And, who and you're right. And the story you tell about Arthur Duncan, too, mm -hmm. you know, um, on, it was on the Betty White show in 1954, the first of three or four Betty White shows that she did that had that title. And he was a, a, a black tap dancer. And um, there were several stations around the country uh, in, in the Deep South in particular that said, you got to get that guy off your show. We're not going to put have an African-American on our air. Uh, and she said, you know, basically pound sand. Screw you. <laughs> He's going to be on the show, yeah. and in fact, she increased his presence on the show. Yeah. Uh, and this is this is before that was it was trendy to have diversity on your show. Mm -hmm. So the, it wasn't that she was trying to show, look at what a magnanimous person I am. That was simply deeply rooted who she was and what she was. Arthur Duncan, I believe, if I remember correctly, is one of the many friends and colleagues and co-stars of Betty White that Ray Richmond interviewed for his excellent book, breathtaking book, Betty White, 100 Remarkable Moments in an Extraordinary Life, available wherever books are sold through Becker and Meyer Publishers, as well as our friends at the Quarto Group. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. We should at least spend a few minutes talking about Betty's lifelong passion for animals, which I understand in many respects started shortly after she came out of the womb, didn't it? 
absolutely. You know, her parents, and, and this is one of the great stories that I learned for the book, is that it was an amazing love affair between Betty and her mother and father, who were just apparently wonderful human beings. Uh, she was born in Oak Park, Illinois. You know, they moved out here when she was a toddler to L.A. for work reasons for her father. It was, you know, pre-Depression. Her father, during the Depression, he was uh, an electronics guy, and he would make, like, diode radios that he would purportedly sell, you know, to help the, to help the family income. But invariably, he would trade them for, for dogs. <laughs> uh, so, so you end up, they, they ended up having their, their own, you know, if there was a dog that, that couldn't be cared for, they would take him in and trade radios for them. At one time, apparently, they had 26 dogs in their house. So they were basically running an, an early unofficial pet rescue operation in their house. And, and Betty's parents were just, you know, this is who they were. They just, they loved, they loved dogs and their daughter in equal measure. And um, Betty took that in and took it to heart and became um, a lifelong advocate for and lover of dogs, cats, bears, snakes, all of God's creatures. She is a, she is a huge lover of and has, has put her money where her mouth is. She's contributed money to the Los Angeles Zoo, to various animal ad, ad, advocacy organizations. And it's wonderful, really. I mean, she's She's been personally responsible for helping the fate of animals worldwide. The pet set, which we've talked about on a previous edition on of, of our program, and which was produced by uh, the, the DVD release of the pet set, was produced um, by Darren Watico, who Ray interviewed for uh, Betty White, 100 Remarkable Moments. The pet set, in many ways, Ray, was the perfect vehicle for Betty White because it showcased her love of animals, and her gift and skills for improv- improvisation and unscripted television. Absolutely. It was wonderful to see, you know. I mean, and the thing with the pet set, as you probably know, Ed, is that the show, they did it in 1971. It was co-produced by Betty and, and Alan Ludden. She had on all kinds of stars of the time with their dogs and such, including Carol Burnett and, and so many others. Agnes Moorhead, Rod Sterling. Exactly. You know, we don't think of Rod Serling, you know, with his dog. We just think of him as a, as a science fiction guy and kind of kind of scary. But, yeah, being with, with your dog humanizes everyone. And it was a wonderful little show. It went only for a single year, 1971-72, in syndication. And then it disappeared. Yeah. Never to be seen again until Darren Watico, this producer, and helped restore them. I mean, because they, they were basically horribly tarnished film restored them to a pristine condition, and put them out again earlier in 2021 to be enjoyed again 50 years later. That's the thing with Betty is she's been around so long that she still, she still seemed relatively old 50 years ago. <laughs> and yet the information that she dispels in every episode of The Pet Set is as timely and relevant and meaningful to animal lovers and pet, I was going to say pet owners, pet, nobody owns an animal. So uh, pet co-inhabitants. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, indeed, and indeed, it's true she, that everything on that show is, was ahead of its time and still applies today. Well, also, well, also giving you showing another glance of of some of your favorite TV personalities. 
the one I'm thinking of off the top of my head, it featured both Agnes Moorhead and Cleveland Amory, the great critic for TV Guide magazine. And in both cases, it shows a different side of who they are. Because we have, we have this image of, even though Agnes Moorhead did all these other things for Orson Welles and radio and the stage, we tend to think of her immediately as Endora, and she shows a side of her personality. And Cleveland Amory, I was not aware, was, was as big an animal rights advocate as Betty White was. Absolutely, yeah. And that's the thing, is everybody was so overjoyed to be sharing time on camera with Betty for that show, more so than any, any talk show you'll ever see. Because, you know, they're relaxed, they, they love showing off their animals, they love relaxing and, being, and letting their hair down and being able to show that they're just regular folks. And what's very special, and, and the thing with Betty is that she's just so disarming. And people, you know, tell, share their, their deep, dark secrets with her. If things had been different, she would have been an amazing therapist or psychologist. Yeah, yeah. And, and I understand, and I think I read this in Betty White, 100 Remarkable Moments in an Extraordinary Life by Ray Richmond. I think she, at one point in her, in, in her life when she was a young woman, she actually she wanted to be a park ranger. She wanted to work closely with the animals. Yes, she did. That was her goal when she was a young child because, you know, her family, her parents would take her into the High Sierra and they would go on backpacking trips into the backcountry for 10 days, two weeks, three weeks, and be off the grid. And she thought, you know, wow, that's what you want to do. I, I, I want to be a forest ranger. But that particular vocation was not available to women of the time, so she had to drop it. And about uh, 20 years ago, she finally, uh, the, the U.S. Forest Service made her an honorary ranger. And you could see the pride she had. It wasn't just a, a fun little, hey, let's do a little ceremony for Betty White. It was something that had deep meaning for her, especially because her her father, you know, he used to wear, a, you know, a ranger's hat and, and would walk around with a U.S. Forest Service badge. And this was something deeply ingrained in her DNA. And this is yet another reason why we love Betty White. It, it goes back to something we talk about a lot on our program. If, if people won't let you play in their sandbox, sometimes the best thing is to create a sandbox of your own. And that's what Betty White did more than once. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, she... she she made her own way. If she wanted to do something, she did it. She could. She would create shows. She would produce shows. She would m make appearances on shows. You know, you could see that she just. You know, after a while, when she hit her sixties, uh, she became kind of America's mascot, and she embraced that. She embraced every, and gracefully, embraced every age and every every role that she had for, for the country up until her late 90s. I mean, you know, she's 99 now, turning 100 on January 17th. And it, I think she slowed down. I think she, she's become somewhat frail, isn't out there as much as she used to be. But we're all hoping that she can make one final appearance, or maybe not even final, another appearance around the time of her 100th birthday so we can appreciate her one more time. And when you're 99 years old, you're entitled to slow down if you want to. <laughs> That's, you know, that's the thing. Is, oh, my God. The woman has just never stopped. Yeah. You know, and I, I got a, a, a really great handle on just what a wonderful friend she's been through Millicent Martin, you know, the actress mm -hmm. who was on a lot, of, a lot of different sitcoms, including with Betty on Hot in Cleveland. They would play, uh, up until recently, up until COVID, they would play 
scrabble together every Monday night, and Betty would, you know, wipe the floor with everything. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be trying to play games against Betty White. That is that is a losing proposition every time. And this goes back to her her appearances on TV game shows. She took the game seriously. You know, whether it was password, whether it was match game, she took the game seriously because she knew there was real dollars, there was real money at stake for the for the contestant, and so she took that obligation seriously to, to do her best so that her contestant would do as well and win as much as they could. Absolutely, yeah. It was never just it was never just, just FaceTime on camera for her. Oh no, no, she took it deeply seriously and realized, yeah, that she's that these people, that the money that she was gonna be helping them make had, you know, real meaning to their lives and, and their livelihoods. I searched far and wide trying to find somebody that would say not because I was trying to dig up dirt, but somebody that could say, you know, she was, everybody thinks that she's the perfect person, but, you know, there was a time where she stabbed me in the back. <laughs> what, blah, blah. You couldn't find, you can't find a single human being that would say anything even remotely negative about her. She's as close to a perfect person as the entertainment industry has ever produced. Ray Richmond is on the line with us. Ray Richmond, author of Betty White, 100 Remarkable Moments in an Extraordinary Life. New pictorial history of Betty White that officially becomes available wherever books are sold on Tuesday, December 7th. We'll be back for our final moments with Ray Richmond when we come back on TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.